Thank you, thank you. Good to have you. Thanks so much. Great to have you here with us, and especially if you're a visitor, just extend my welcome to you as well. And if you're watching online, great to have you with us. I want to uh, start this morning with a true story from the internet. <laughs> the call to worship had just been pronounced starting the Easter service in an East, East Texas church. The choir started its processional singing, Up from the grave he arose as they marched in perfect step down the center aisle to the front of the church. The last lady was wearing shoes with very slender heels. Without a thought for her fancy heels, she marched towards the grating that covered the hot air vent in the middle of the aisle. Suddenly, the heel of one shoe sank into the hole of the grate. In a flash, she realized her predicament. Not wishing to hold up the whole processional without missing a step, she slipped her foot out of the shoe and continued marching down the aisle. The first man after her spotted the situation and the trip hazard and without losing a step, reached down and pulled up her shoe, but the entire grate came with it. <laughs> Surprised but still singing, the man kept on going down the aisle, holding the shoe in his hand with the grate and the shoe attached. Everything still moved like clockwork, still in tune and still in step. The next man in line stepped into the open vent and disappeared from sight. The service took on a special meaning that Sunday, for just as the choir finished with Alleluia, Christ arose... A voice was heard coming from under the church, shouting, I hope all of you are out of the way because I'm coming out now. <laughs> a little girl closest to the aisle shouted, Come on out, Jesus, we will stay out of the way. <laughs> that story may or may not be true. It might be fake news, I don't know. I pray that it is true. I pray that that story is true. But, you know, we don't want to focus on fake news this morning, but on real news. And uh, we are focusing, as we come into this Easter period, on the cross and on Jesus' death. And, you know, as you read through the New Testament, there is a phenomenal uh, amount of material on the death of Jesus. In fact, if you read Mark's Gospel, which we'll read a lot of this morning, Mark's Gospel, over half of it is concerned with the cross and the death of Jesus. And you might think, why is this so central to Christianity? Why are churches built in the shape of a cross? It was a, a form of execution. We have it in gold and in jewellery, but really it's a form of execution. And in fact, it was so brutal and so horrific that the Romans, sensible Romans that they were, banned crucifixion in AD 300 because it was just too graphic, too inhumane inhumane and the Romans not known for their humanity decided even the cross was just too much for them. So why such a concentration on the death of Jesus and why not focus on the death of other heroes? Why Jesus' death is so significant and there, I'm sure there's a range of people in the room today, I'm sure some of you this might be the first time you've ever heard this news and if so, welcome. <laughs> And this next 30 minutes is going to be the best news you ever heard in your life. The best news you ever heard in your life. I remember the first time I heard it and believed it, and it changed my life forever. Some of you, though, you've heard this news since you were dribbling into your napkin and uh, someone was changing your diaper, your nappy. And you've heard this news a lot of times, over and over again. And, and the thing this morning is that we've got to be careful not to become over-familiar with yes. this news, yes. this life-changing news. 
It's like one of my kids, when they were around four, my wife saw them on the phone and wondered what they were, who they were talking to, and they said, okay, 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 I didn't realize. And then Caroline heard the voice on the other end, please replace the handset and try again. Please replace the handset and try again. Please replace, I didn't realize, okay, I didn't realize. And that can be the danger for us. I didn't realize. Have we realized what happened on the cross? What he paid for, for us? You know, Leonard Ravenhill once said this. One of these days, some simple soul will pick up the Bible, read it and believe it, and the rest of us will be embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't realize how much he had done, how much he had paid for, for you and I. We can be like two Hungarian brothers who are living on a dump, on a rubbish tip, until two lawyers turned up one day and said, did you realise one of your relatives has just died and left you $4 billion? I didn't realise. so important for us as we look at this subject again, for the first time or for... The thousandth time that we realise, we take it deeper. Let's pray, shall we? God, we just pray for us this morning. We pray for the spirit of revelation to open our hearts. We pray like the Apostle Paul who believed that in this life we see through a glass darkly. We see just a mist. We don't see perfectly, but we cry out, God, give us more. We want to see more. We don't want to be like those people embarrassed when others really believe what we've known for a long time. We say, Jesus, open our hearts and help us open the heart, our hearts today to receive and to believe and to go deeper in this revelation of what you've done for us on the cross. Amen. I guess where we've got to stop, though, we've got to start really is this. Did Jesus die? Did he die at all? I mean, did he even exist? Uh, you know, some people would say that. For Many of you will know I was an atheist for a number of years, and that would be my conclusion. This stuff, if, if, it's just legend. It, you know, it was a long time ago, story. Perhaps he was a good, perhaps he did exist. He was a good guy, and things, you know, get exaggerated. We know how that happens. And then here we are, a few thousand years later, worshipping someone who really was just a good guy. And, you know, we used to play a game when we were kids called Chinese Whispers. And what you do is you, somebody makes up a sentence and they whisper it to the next person. And then they whisper it to the next one, they whisper it to the next one. And then the last person in line says the sentence back. And it's very often completely different from the first sentence. Oh, how we laughed. <laughs> Kids today, you know, with their iPads and their gadgets, <laughs> they're missing out on a good old game of Chinese whispers. <laughs> I'm sure you know of that game and have played the game, Chinese whispers. Is it just like that? Is it just a legend? Well, what historians, as they've looked at this, have realized is that legends actually take centuries to develop. Centuries to develop. And the, 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 if you take, for example, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, one of the, the great Greek uh, leaders and kings, set up a whole empire. His biography was written down 400 years after the events happened. 400 years later, the events were written down. And when they were written down, historians today would still consider them to be accurate representations of what actually happened with Alexander the Great, 400-year gap. Now, when you look at the life and death of Jesus, 
the events were written down in around the earliest, the earliest record we've got of writings of them is AD 58, written by a man called St. Paul. He wrote them in 1 Corinthians 14, which testified to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he would have heard, we know where he got the news from, because he got it from the eyewitnesses around AD 30 to 35. So the writings that we have are so close to the events. There's no time for legend to possibly have developed. It was just too early. The records are just too close. Paul even writes in one of his things, there are many eyewitnesses to these things. You can talk to them. And the reality is the time for legend to develop just didn't happen. In compare it to Chinese whispers, it would be like the first person shouting in your ear. You might be deafened. You certainly wouldn't write it down wrong. That's how close these things are. Some would say, for example, I was talking to a guy who was a Muslim. And he said, well, you know, the Quran says that Jesus didn't actually die. In fact, this is what it says in the fourth surah. It says, they did not crucify him, nor did they kill him, but they thought that they did. And some would say that, well, Jesus didn't actually die. You know, he was swapped out by uh, Judas or somebody else, and, uh, and he didn't actually die on the cross. But my response is, with all respect, why would we trust the, a document written 600 late, years later, the Quran, against the New Testament, which is written within 30 or 40 years of the events themselves? Why, why trust the two accounts? You've got two accounts, one 600 years later, one almost at the time of the events. Why would you trust one over the other? The eyewitnesses gave their lives for testifying the, tr- the fact that Jesus really did live, really did die, and really did rise again. And anyway, why would you make up, if I was starting a a religion today, why would I make up a story that the leader of my religion was crucified because the people in his day didn't believe who he said he was? I mean, that's not going to tweet very well, is it? (laughs) That's not going to go viral, is it? That kind of story, if you were going to make up a new religion and you were going to die for it, why would you invent a story like this? It just doesn't make any sense. These guys died for their foundational truth that they said was true and that they had seen. That's why New Testament Christianity is based on the history and not just on some kind of legend. So that's the thoughts about did he die. The question that I want to look at in more detail though is how did he die? And you might think, well, that's obvious, isn't it? He died through crucifixion. We know that. He was crucified. That's how he died. But I think if we just gloss over it like that, we'll miss some of the depths of what happened when Jesus died. Because he died betrayed. One of his closest friends, a man called Judas, decided to betray Jesus because he didn't like some of the things that he was saying. And this is what it says in Mark 14. Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss then you can take him away. Jesus died betrayed by one of his closest friends and then he died abandoned. It says in Mark 14, everyone deserted him and fled. You ever felt alone? Well, Jesus died abandoned. His closest friends who'd walked with him and talked with him ran. He died abandoned. And Then they took him, arrested him, and they took him to court. But the trial was an absolute sham. This is what uh, Mark writes in Mark 14. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. He died in injustice. You faced injustice, 
Jesus died in injustice. It was a sham trial where even the witnesses didn't line up with each other. And then the leaders, the people who should have recognized him, rejected him. Guilty, they cried. He deserves to die. Some of them began to spit at him and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Anyone who was anyone rejected him. He died rejected, rejected by everyone around, abandoned by his friends, betrayed by someone who was close to him. He died rejected and in injustice. And then they took him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, because the Jews couldn't execute people under Roman law. It was an occupied nation. So they took him there to Pilate. And Pilate thought he was innocent. But because of the pressure of the people, he decided that he would have him executed. And so he died abused. And that's what happened. It says in Mark 15, to pacify the crowd, Pilate ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip. He died rejected, he died abused and then soldiers took him but they didn't just flog him as Pilate had said, they also mocked him. They dressed him in a purple robe, they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head then they saluted him and taunted Hail the King of the Jews. You ever been mocked? Jesus died with the voices of mockery all around him. He died mocked. He died shamed. He was naked, hung on the cross. And it didn't even finish there because they killed and executed two thieves, one on either side. And it says this, two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. He died in utter shame, utterly cut off. And he died in emotional and physical agony. It says before the cross and the crucifixion and the trial happened, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out and said this, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. There is testimony, medical testimony, that people have died from a broken heart. And I believe in Gethsemane, Jesus went through that level of emotional energy such that it said God sent angels to strengthen him. I think he would have dropped dead in the garden had he not been supernaturally strengthened. Such was the turmoil in his soul. And even on the cross, even though he knew that his father wasn't betraying him, his heavenly father, yet I think he entered into how abandoned we feel because it says this, on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you Abandon me. You ever wondered, does even God see me? Does even God know me and know what I'm going through? Jesus entered into that on the cross. He died abandoned. He died in agony. He died betrayed. He died shamed. He died in the middle of injustice, rejected, abused. He died mocked. He died all right. But how he died... Is just as important as the fact that he did die. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He disregarded its shame 
Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people and then you won't grow weary and give up. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people so that you don't grow weary and give up. Think about it. Think deeply. The word actually means to consider it. Think deeply about the hostility that Jesus endured so that you won't grow weary and give up. Because Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus entered into this stuff in its fullness, in its most powerful, in its most potent way. He entered into this, so why? So that when you enter into this, you meet him there. You find him there. He is already there. The Bible says he has gone before us in every way. He has endured everything that we have to endure in every way. When you, and I've seen this again and again, when people enter into some of the darkest nights of their soul, what do they find? They find Jesus. If they look for him, they find him because he's already there. He's already endured it. He's already lived through it. And he's already come out of it alive. And at the highest place of honor, at the Father's side. A friend of mine was talking with some Syrians. They came out of, the, of Syria in another nation now. And they, were saying, they said this to him. They said, we've lost everything. We lost our homes. We've lost our jobs. We lost our money. We've lost some of our extended family. We, we have lost our everything. We're exhausted but in the process, we found Jesus. We would rather have Jesus. We would rather have Jesus. As they entered into the darkest night of their soul, they found Jesus. They found him, and they found that he was enough. And the cross, as we think about it, as we look at how he died, as we face these things, which we will all face, and many of us have faced in varying degrees, it's in that place that we can find him. And we can find strength in him. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people so that you do not grow weary and give up. And Jesus would say to you today, don't give up. Don't give up and receive my strength. You know when you're in those moments and you think, can I even put one foot in front of another? Jesus would say to you, don't give up. Receive my strength. just want to pause for a moment. If you can see yourself in these, I just want us to take a moment to pray. So if that's you, why don't you just stand wherever you are. No one will know which one is you. But if you see yourself and you say, Lord, I need to see you. I need to find you. Why don't you just stand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right across the room, we just, if there's someone standing near you, just put a hand on her shoulder. If you see yourself in this place, we just pray for you that you would not grow weary and give up. We pray that you would be strengthened in your very soul. We pray that you would encounter Jesus as many of us have on our, in our seasons. We pray that you would find him and know him. Amen. That you would find healing and life and everything. He now stands in honor at the right hand of the Father. 
and he draws you up to be seated in him, in Christ. You can not just survive, you can thrive. And out of your greatest brokenness, Christ can turn it into glory. He can turn your mess into a message and your test into a testimony. And we just sit, we've seen it so many times. I don't mean to be flippant, but we have seen it so many times. We just say, God, do it again. Amen. Do it again. The, the, the ripples, the quake that began at the cross that has affected all of our lives and is still affecting, we say, do it again, Lord. Let those who stand today in future days have a testimony of Christ. And I met him there. And I found him there. And he was my strength and my source. And he has become my salvation. Thank you, Father. Amen. Will you take your seat? So just as we close then, we need to look at why then did Jesus die? I want to read you a story of one of my heroes, John Wimber, who is an American pastor and a spiritual hero of mine. He said this, After I'd studied the Bible for about three months, I could have passed on an elementary exam on the cross. By the way, if you're a new believer here and you've never really studied these things, I'd urge you, um, you can get it from the bookshop, a a Bible, and you can read the Gospel of Mark in a modern translation. It will change your life. Over half of it is around the cross, and you'll see some of the things I'm talking about. I could have passed an elementary exam on the cross. I understood there was one God who could be known in three persons. I understood Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. But I didn't understand that I was a sinner. I thought I was a good guy. I knew I messed up here and there, but I didn't realize how serious my condition was. One evening around this time, Carol, my wife, said, I think it's time to do something about all that we've been learning. As I looked in utter amazement, she knelt down on the floor and started praying to what seemed to be the ceiling. Oh God, she said, I'm sorry for my sin. I couldn't believe it. Carol was a better person than I was. Yet she thought she was a sinner. I could feel her pain, the depth of her prayer. Soon she was weeping and repeating, I'm sorry for my sin. I started to sweat bullets. The perspiration ran down my face. And I thought, I'm not going to do this. This is dumb. I'm a good guy. And then it struck me. Carol wasn't praying to the ceiling. She was praying to a person, to a God who could hear her. In comparison to him, she knew she was a sinner in need of forgiveness. In a flash, the cross suddenly made personal sense to me. Suddenly I knew something that I'd never known before. I had hurt God's feelings. He loved me and in his love for me, he sent Jesus. But I turned away from that love. I'd shunned it all my life. I was a sinner. I was desperately in need of the cross. Then I too was kneeling on the floor. I was sobbing, my nose was running, my eyes were watering. I had this overwhelming sense that I was talking to someone who had been with me all my life, but I'd failed to recognize him. Like Carol, I began to talk to the living God, telling him that I was a sinner, but the only words I could say were, Oh God, oh God. I knew something revolutionary was going on inside of me. I thought, I hope this works because I'm making a complete fool of myself. (laughs) Then the Lord brought to mind a man I'd seen in Los Angeles a number of years before. He was wearing a sign that said, I'm a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? I thought at the time, that's the most stupid thing I've ever seen. But as I knelt on the floor, I realized the truth of that odd sign. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It makes no sense. But that night, I knelt at the cross and I believed in Jesus. And I've been a fool for Christ ever since. As I tell you briefly what Jesus, why Jesus died on the cross, I want you to listen with that kind of faith 
to realize that this is for you and for all that know you. There was a lady listening to a message like this. As I told her the story of the cross, I saw her her eyes suddenly got it. it. She suddenly got it. I could see the revelation go in, and I knew she got something. At the end of the message, she came forward. She said, I've been in neck pain for about five years, and as I heard what you said about what Jesus did on the cross, all the pain went out of my neck, and I'm completely healed. There was a guy listening to these words and he was weeping. And I found out later it was because of the shame of what he had done. The things he had done were so shameful. And he wept as he heard what Jesus did on the cross. And as he came out the other side, he was free for the first time in years for the shame that had covered his soul. There was a guy heard these words. And as he heard what Jesus did on the cross and why he died, he realized that he was forgiven for his sin which meant and had a natural conclusion that he needed to forgive his brother for his brother's sin against him. And when he did that, as the story unfolded over later weeks, he and his brother were reconciled. And the brother that he'd not spoken to for five years found reconnection because of the cross. I want us to listen with faith. And, and there's a number of things that Jesus did, and I can't do them all, but just a few in the moments we have left. Firstly, he... Uh, on the cross, he died so that death itself would be defeated. And I've got to be careful not to steal too much thunder from next Sunday. But he died so that death itself could be defeated. And, and uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. The Department of Social Services in South Carolina sent the following letter to an individual. Your food stamps will be stopped effective March 1992 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. <laughs> Death. <laughs> the last enemy. The final enemy has been defeated, has been defeated. He is alive. And if he is alive, and he promises to make us alive, then we have hope. Then we have hope. And the second thing is this, he died to purchase our freedom. Jesus died so that we might be free. Ephesians 1, so we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. Ever since God created man, we have been in rebellion against him. We've rebelled against his ways. We want to do it our way. That's why the number one song sung at funerals is, I did it my way. It's the spirit of mankind. We've been in rebellion against him, but he has come to set us free. He died so that we did not have to be enslaved to the sin that would grab hold of our souls and cause us to do sometimes the things that we don't even want to do. But we feel this pressure. He came to cleanse us from the sin of the past and break the power of the sin of today, the things, the addictions, the things that hold us back. There was a guy who was addicted to pornography, who was addicted to sexual sin, who was addicted to thieving and living his own way. And Christ set him free. And I am that guy. Christ came into your life to break you free. To break you free. He came for freedom. He came to set us free. He came to bring salvation, completeness, wholeness. 1 Corinthians 1. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are healed, uh, for those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. That word uh, saved is sozo, 
which is a, a very rich word in the original language, and it means wholeness, completeness. You know, life, this stuff, it leaves us broken. It leaves us with bits missing, divorces, children dying, destruction, uh, all sorts of things that happen to us. Just the family we were raising leave us feeling broken. Christ came to make you whole. Yeah. He came to bring a sense of wholeness so that even the scars can testify to his glory. Even the things that we battled through and wrestled through can testify. Yes, I know this was difficult, this was painful, but Christ has come into that through his cross and set me free. He has come and made me whole. A man, a man once saw in the window of a tattoo shop the, a, a set of possible tattoos and one had the tattoo words that went like this, born to lose. He went into the shop thinking surely no one would have born to lose tattooed on themselves. And he asked the guy, does anyone have born to lose tattooed? And the man said, yeah, they do. Some people do. And he said, I just can't believe it. What would make someone have born to lose tattooed on themselves? And the Chinese tattoo, owner said, tattoo parlor owner said through broken English, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. Some of us through the things of life have tattoos on our minds, ways of thinking that give us a path, a destination for destruction. But Christ came to set us free. The words that have been spoken over you, the lies that you have believed, the blasphemies and the, the destruction that have been all around you, the, the things that have crushed your soul, Christ came to set you free. He came to bring you to wholeness through the cross. Maybe it was your ex-wife or ex-husband. Maybe it was a father. Maybe it was a, a, a child. Who, I don't know who it was, but things that have been spoken in that have left you broken, he came to set you free. He came to bring you to wholeness. He came to reconcile us to each other and to God. Ephesians 2, for Christ himself has brought peace upon us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. A guy came to one of our conferences and heard for the first time this message of reconciliation and he heard it in an interesting way because at the end someone went to give him a hug and he'd never really been hugged properly before, certainly not a real proper man hug. And he got a hug as if God himself were hugging him. And it totally set him free. I, I know the guy well, and it's been a, it was a life-changing moment. Anyway, he went back that Sunday to his own church in a different town, and he shared the story of what happened, how this hug had brought him the revelation that God had brought him to himself, that he was reconciled to God. And his sister was in the church, and after he'd finished sharing, she stood up and said, I've never even hugged you. And she ran over, and they hugged for the first time in front of the whole church. There wasn't a dry eye in the house, as you can imagine. You see, the spirit of reconciliation, once it gets hold of you, starts to overwhelm the rejection around you. <laughs> once the spirit of God's reconciling, once you realize that you are reconciled to God, you then start to, that starts to multiply. <laughs> that is such good news. It can't stay alone. Reconciliation starts to move into families and into communities. And our belief is that ultimately, even into nations that today are seeing destruction and division can be reunited in Christ and one day will be. <laughs> That's our message. And he came to disarm and to defeat the enemy and he died for that. What, Colossians 2. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them 
on the cross. There is a spiritual battle going on that few of us have been educated about or prepared for, but it's very, very real. It's very, very alive. There is a war going on in the spirit realm. If you've got a sickness that can't be explained by doctors, it might be a spiritual cause rather than a, rather than a physical cause. It might not be, but it might be. I've seen numbers of people, thousands of people, set free from spiritual oppression as we have prayed and ministered. What happened on the cross was that you could be free. We had a, a, just one story, a lady who came uh, and she had these thoughts of driving her car off the road with her kids in it, just repeated thoughts, just bombarded thoughts. And she was just under it, came for prayer. She had a doctor's appointment coming up in a few days, I think. Came for prayer, was prayed for, and got massively set free. She went to the doctors, but really didn't need to. It wasn't a physical thing. It was a spiritual battle that was going on. We don't despise what the doctors can do. and Don't mishear me. But she had a spiritual thing that was going on, and she got freedom. And that's what Christ has done. Freedom, salvation, reconciliation the enemy disarmed, and even death itself defeated. That's pretty good, buy one, get four free deal, isn't it? <laughs> Not going to see that in your local supermarket. You might be thinking, though, what about if I'm not living in the fullness of these things? Christ has paid for them. He came for them. What about if I'm not seeing them in all this fullness? And I just want you to read to you as we close this one last passage. And I want you to follow the word peace, because it gives us an illustration through the word peace of what happens for all of these things. It says this, But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's made that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And notice the, the theme. He is our peace. Whatever you need, Christ is it. We are not following a philosophy or an idea. We are not presenting anything other than Christ himself. Come to Jesus. He is your peace. He is your hope. He is your restoration. He is your healing. Come to Jesus. He is your peace but it says he then on the cross he achieved peace he made peace there was something that had to be brokered through the cross and he did it for peace and for everything else he did it but then notice it says he preached peace there's a final stage and that's the stage we're in we are now in the stage where we declare what Jesus has done we declare what he has done and as we declare it more of it happens one day all of this stuff will be filling the earth the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. There will be no more war because peace will finally take over the earth once and for all. And it's the same for all of these things. And the more we believe it and expect it and receive it and live it in our own lives, the more we will give it away, the more we will declare it, and the more we will see it ripple around. That is our job. We're not just to believe this stuff and live sitting happily uh, for the rest of our lives. We're to believe it, receive it, and be living witnesses of it. Like the earliest disciples they weren't educated. They just said, this is what Jesus has done. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Believe it or not. But I'm telling you, this is what he has done. We don't have to argue or persuade people unnecessarily. We just have to declare, this is what he's done. 
Come and see, come and see. The earliest disciples just said to others who didn't believe, come and see, come and see, come and see. This is what he's done. We live with open lives, honest and open, saying we are not perfect. There's only one who is perfect. But man alive, he's changing us. (laughs) And we believe he's bringing us to perfection one day.